Chapter 17 of The Radio Beasts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Daryl Hansen. The Radio Beasts by Ralph Milne Farley. Chapter 17 The Lion and the Mouse. There is an ancient Cupian fable about a brink which once did a favor for a woofus, thus so surprising the woofus that he died of the shock. But in the present case, the brinks figured a little bit differently, as you shall see as you read on. To realize Cabot's predicament, take a pair of compasses and draw five equally spaced circles, each tangent to the next. The center of each circle will then represent a post, and the circle will represent the area in which the woofus tied to that post can bite. The small, star-shaped figure bounded by the five circles will represent the space in which Miles Cabot was to live during the next twenty-four days, while King Yuri was getting Cabot's marriage annulled by the assembly, and was trying to persuade Lilla to reconsider her choice. What irony of fate! The ground, which Cabot now occupied, was the identical spot where a little over two years ago he had directed the firing of the first shot for Cupian freedom. Here had been erected by him the stadium to commemorate his victory over the Formians, and here he now languished in his own stadium, a prisoner of those same accursed Formians whom he had thought he had driven from Cupia forever. What irony of fate! The first night of his peculiar incarceration was uneventfully spent. Cabot switched off his headset so as to shut out the screaming of the purple beasts and slept the sleep of the just. The joke was on the king. If that august personage had thought to annoy his victim with the noise of the woofuses, the next morning was unusually hot. Miles awoke, stretched himself, sat up, and watched his purple jailers. The largest of them appeared to be ill. Its eyes were running, and its head was covered with swarms of brinks. Those tiny hopping lizards, which infest the concrete roads and other flat open spaces of Poros. Instantly Cabot's interest turned to pity. This poor creature was, of course, a dreaded carnivore, a man-eater and all that. But it was in dire trouble. Switching on his headset, he started talking to the woofus in a soothing, crooning tone. The huge beast pricked up its antenna, then whined and rubbed its paw across its face to wipe off some of the crawling brinks. The other purple saurians eyed Cabot hungrily and ferociously. Cabot's bowl of water from the night before was still standing at his side. Tearing off one corner of his toga, he dipped it in the bowl and shook a few drops onto the head of the sick woofus. The poor beast stiffened with surprise, then settled down again and whined a bit more contentedly. Creeping cautiously forward, Cabot wiped some of the brinks away with a cool, wet rag. 
the whining ceased, and the woofus flattened itself out with a sigh. It made no attempt to strike at its benefactor, and Cabot, emboldened, drew the bull nearer, and tenderly cleaned every filthy brink from the creature's face. As the washing was concluded, the woofus opened its eyes and stared steadily at the man, yet still made no move to attack him. And Cabot, with a sudden inspiration, began to scratch the edge of the woofus's jaw. The beast stretched its claws with pleasure and submitted to the caress. Thus the prisoner seemed to have made a friend, where one would be least expected. Yet, when the man moved as if to pass by his keeper, the latter growled menacingly and started to rise, whereat Cabot beat a hasty retreat to the center of his prison. After a while the huge woofus settled down again. Then it whined softly. Once more Cabot bathed its sore eyes. They were friends again. All this time Cabot kept a careful watch for his Formian jailers, and finally one of them arrived with breakfast, which was shoved into him at the end of a long pole, plain fare, but satisfying, alta and green milk. Cabot asked for wash water, rags, and a clean toga. The wash water and rags were forthcoming but the toga was refused. Then the foreman withdrew, and Cabot resumed the care of his patient. Off and on throughout the day, he bathed the poor creature's eyes and massaged its tired muscles. Toward evening, Yuri appeared, carrying a long whip with which he proceeded to flick the five purple guardians into a state of frenzy. Stand up, or I'll flick you too he called out to the captive. Haven't you sufficient manners to stand in the presence of your king? Yes, Miles answered. But, according to your own statement, I am only a mere animal, by which token you are not my king, unless you lay claim to being king of the beasts. In reply, Yuri gave a few vicious swipes at Cabot's pet Woofus, which strained at its chain with rage. The Earthman went white. Are you doing that to frighten me, or just for the fun of it? he asked tensely. Not that it is any of your business, answered the king. But as a matter of fact, I am doing it merely because it gives me intense pleasure to demonstrate my power over these five fierce creatures, any one of which is a match for ten cupians. Then stop it at once, Cabot thundered, rising to his feet, or by all that is holy, I'll risk my life to untie their chains. Yuri saw that Miles meant it, and so desisted, but could not resist a parting shot. So. You did stand up for your king, after all. I thought I could get you to. And he strode away, laughing. When Yuri had made his exit from the arena, Cabot walked over to his woofus, which, with foaming mouth and staring eyes, 
was still straining at its leash. Miles patted him on the back. It was the supreme test. The woofus ceased his straining and rubbed against the man's side. So they were still friends. And here was a friendship which would last. Night came, and no guards entered the dimly lighted stadium. Cabot's huge pet slept with its head contentedly in his lap, like a St. Bernard dog. As the earthman stroked the sleek purple hide, he suddenly had an idea, and immediately put it into execution. He unstrapped and removed the collar from the neck of the beast. You are free, my friend, said he, and if you take your freedom, it will leave me free, too. At his words, the woofus stirred, stood erect, shook itself, and then bounded off silently into the darkness. And the captive, now a captive no longer, followed through the gap which the woofus had left vacant. In a few strides, he reached the parapet, which divided the tiers of seats from the sands, and was just about to leap up and grasp its edge when a swift rushing form collided with him and sent him sprawling. Then great webbed paws were planted on his chest, and he saw the horrid face of a woofus leering down at him out of the half-darkness. Nearer and nearer came the dripping jaws to his face, until, finally, the creature lapped his cheek. It was his own woofus, come back for him. And thereupon Cabot abruptly changed his plans. All through that warm tropical night, Cabot, the Earthman, and this huge purple saurian of the planet Venus, ranged the Kuwana Stadium together, alone and in silence. Miles started teaching the beast to heal, to lie down and to attack at his command. And, as the first touch of pink diffused the eastern sky, the two returned to the charmed circle together. The collar was snapped again in its proper place, and Cabot switched off his headset and lay down in the center for a sleep. Night after night, this performance was repeated, until the woofus was as letter-perfect as any dog ever trained. Then Miles started to teach the woofus to hate the other four, above which it towered, now that it had regained its health. In fact, he had never seen a larger or a more perfect specimen. Meanwhile, Cabot's hair and beard grew long and unkempt, and his toga became indescribably filthy. And every day came Yuri to gloat over him. But never again did he bring his whip, and the purple beasts, although they glared at him with the eyes of rage, did nothing further to evidence their intense hatred of him. One day, Yuri brought Lilla. Her compassion at her husband's appearance was pitiful, but what could she do? My poor, poor dear, how are you? She cried. Fine, Miles replied. Never felt better in my life. Please don't worry about me, dear. I know I look horribly, but I feel perfectly fit, and with a few more days of rest and wholesome food, I shall be able to wring the necks of at least four out of these five woofuses. Good, Yuri exclaimed, clapping his hands. Then we shall have capital fun. 
for I plan to have you fight, all five of them, in the arena day after tomorrow, for the delectation of our sport-loving people. The two Sanks will then be up, and the princess has not relented. But please, Yuri, do me one little favor, begged Lilla. Please let Miles shave, and give him a clean toga for the occasion. Cabot smiled. How feminine of her. If her husband had to be a corpse, she at least wished him to be a presentable one. But Yuri was obdurate. I am sorry not to be able to do as you wish, but I can think of no better way to impress upon my deluded people the fact that this Minorian is, after all, merely a lower animal, than to let them see him in his present filthy condition. Grant me this one favor, again Lilla urged, and I will try to be a docile slave. You had better be, Yuri sneered. Favor or no favor, else will I throw you to the royal husbands of Queen Formas when I have done with you. I have spoken. Lilla winced. Cabot noted it and stiffened. Sick him, said he, under his breath. There came a flash of purple and the clink of a taut chain. Then a thud, as the largest woofus dropped to the ground with its neck nearly broken. Yuri and Lilla staggered backward, affrighted. I am content, Miles said to himself, and that night he drilled his pet as never before. The next day was uneventful. Yuri did not appear. But along toward evening, Formian guards came with poles and led the five purple beasts away to cells under the stadium. The Earthman was similarly confined. It was filthy and hot, and circus-smelling in his cell, and accordingly he spent a bad night. But when morning came, he felt unusually well, buoyed up by the excitement of the occasion. Shortly after breakfast, he heard the crowd tramping over his head as they began to fill the stadium. He knew that his army undoubtedly had word of the games by means of the black light signal telescopes of Toron, and he knew that they would make every effort to reach the city in time to rescue him. But he was not counting on their aid. He hoped, in fact, to have the tables effectually turned on Yuri long before their arrival. Thus he mused, until finally he was led out onto the sands. The seats were nearly filled. All the standing space was crowded with black Formians. The royal box was occupied by Lilla, Yuri, and Queen Formis, surrounded by a bodyguard of ants. Cabot walked over the edge of the arena nearest the box and waved to Lilla. At this, a sporadic cheer arose, which the king suppressed with an angry gesture. But there remained a tenseness in the air, as though there were many others present who would like to cheer, but dared not. Yuri was plainly annoyed, for it was evident that his victim, wretched and bearded though he was, had quite a following in the audience. Cabot waved again to Lilla. 
Be of good cheer, my princess, he called up to her. My enemies have had me nearer to death than this before, but they cannot kill a Minorian. His supreme confidence reassured Lilla somewhat, and for a moment even Yuri's brow darkened with uncertainty. But then the king smiled quizzically, as one who knows a very amusing secret. At last the stands were full. Yuri arose and spoke into the selfsame broadcaster which the present victim, before his downfall, had rigged up for the use of the venerable King Q. People of Cupia, he declaimed, Behold Cabot the Minorian, the beast from another world. Long has he deceived you by disguising himself as a Cupian being, but now he stands before you in his true nature, hairy-faced, long-locked, filthy, and bestial. It is he who brought war upon this peaceful planet. For that crime he is to die, to be torn to pieces by other creatures no lower than he. And with his well-deserved death, peace and tranquility will return upon Poros. Let his punishment be a lesson to those misguided Cupians to whom he taught the art of war. I have spoken. A tense silence met the king's words. He paused a moment, expectantly awaiting the cheer that never came, then frowned and raised his hand as a signal. The iron gates at one end of the arena were pulled aside, and out trotted one Woofus, then another, and another, and another. Cabot strained his eyes for the appearance of the fifth Woofus, his Woofus, but it was nowhere to be seen. The iron gate swung shut, and the four beasts, each a match for ten Cupians, trotted out to do him battle. Upon entering the arena, each Woofus blinked its eyes for a few paraparts until it became accustomed to the glare, then stretched itself and began to sniff and stare around and agitate its antenna. Finally, one of them noticed their prospective victim and called to the others. They pricked up their antenna and gazed in Miles' direction. Then all four started a stealthy, cat-like crawl toward him. Where was his own trained Woofus? End of chapter 17